Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Rick Campanelli. Yes, I know you all expect me to introduce him as Rick the Temp, but there's much more to his career and life experiences. Rick is a television and radio personality equally well-known for his work on the nation's music station, Much Music, as well as for co-hosting Entertainment Tonight Canada. Rick will have some great stories from his career, and of course, we want an update on what he is up to today. So, without further ado, let's jump right in. Welcome, Rick, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you, and how are you? <laughs> Andrew, it's an absolute honor, pleasure to be here with you today on Legends. Um, I'm in my basement uh, in Burlington. <laughs> <laughs> my, my family and I uh, left Toronto back in 2017, uh, and we, we wanted to get closer to my family. I grew up in Hamilton, so we moved over here to Burlington, and that's where I am physically and mentally as we speak uh i'm doing great all is always grand in my world you know there's always a smile on my face it's always about being positive and looking and waiting for that next adventure and uh yeah there's never there's never a frown on this guy's face no and and on that note let's get right to the airing of the grievances if i may (laughs) yeah Uh, this being a podcast i'm only capturing the audio for our listeners but you and i are on a video call i can see you in all your current glory now to be truthful the emotion i am feeling is is tremendous jealousy rick you are literally a month older than me but you look <laughs> at least 20 years younger you are the poster boy for youthful enthusiasm and good oh. looks how do you do it oh andrew well i sold my soul many years ago to moses <laughs> Neimer. um he actually hired me on uh, to be a much music vj back in gosh early 1996 uh, so I, I blame it all on Moses Neimer. No, no, no. Listen, uh, as, as jokes aside, man, I think in life, you just have to keep active. You have to keep moving. You have to keep looking for that next. And my, my parents are a testament to it all. They, uh, you know, I lost my mom several years ago, but my dad, he's going to be 87 next month. And he just keeps active. He keeps moving. He just got back from Cuba. He brought his younger brother to Cuba with him. He's always going out with his friends. He's so social. And I think that's the key to longevity key to a long life. I, I, I don't know about the looks. I, I have them to thank because it's their genes. It's not, my, I just took from them, but yeah, no, thank you for the nice words. I, uh, I just, I just do my thing and I live life. I really do. I, I, I'm honored to do everything that I'm asked to do, whether it's, you know, radio shows or TV shows or, uh, or emceeing gigs, uh, hosting events. Uh, I, I, I never say no. I don't want to say no because I don't want to uh pass those opportunities uh yeah i i don't know i just i keep busy i i do my thing and 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 it's a nice balance too because i do have a lot of time with my family my three boys my wife uh there's a lot always lots of time for them and there's always lots of time for work well we're gonna put it down to good genes and enthusiasm (laughs) let's go all the way back get the rick campanelli story yeah, man. where were you born and describe your upbringing yeah born in hamilton ontario january 5th 1970 andrew i was almost a, a 1960s baby mm-hmm. can you imagine a 1960s baby but uh all my older siblings are obviously because they came <laughs> yes. before me uh born in 70 in hamilton uh at saint joseph's hospital and um there were six of us in a small house in hamilton and it was a tight-knit Italian family. Uh, we did everything together. 
you know, so many family events and uh, so much going on. We had so many uncles and aunts and cousins. And <laughs> uh, there was always somebody celebrating a birthday or an anniversary or, or what have you. So, no, it was awesome. The upbringing, I couldn't ask for a better upbringing. I learned so much, not just from my parents, but from my older siblings. They taught me right from wrong from day one. And uh, I, I, I wouldn't want to go back and change a thing. And you eventually went through the school system and ended up Brock University, where you did a degree in phys ed with a minor in fine arts. I what did. What was your yeah. life goal yeah. at that point, Rick? <laughs> I, I don't think I had one at the time. And <laughs> I had so many dreams. I wanted to become a pilot. I wanted to be a professional soccer player. I wanted, There were so many things that I wanted to tackle and do. Um, but yeah, I, I, always, I was always into art, drawing, sculpting, painting uh doodling whatever creating uh, some sort so when it came around to, to going to university i knew i always played sports and i always wanted to get involved with something athletic and physical so yeah i majored in that i i actually wrestled and played soccer at university my first year but my social life was great my marks were going straight downhill <laughs> so i had to give up both those varsity sports to focus oh boy. and that's what we're that's what we go to university for in college to for the academics so uh, i had to i had to put the sports on on hold the varsity sports did intramurals a bunch of those yeah i i had a great four years at brock i met a lot of lifelong friends it was probably the best four years uh of my life before much music came calling. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. So at this point, following in the footsteps of your older siblings, you were thinking about becoming a teacher. But let's set the table if we can for the listeners, because you and I know this period. But <laughs> as you know, we're almost children of the 60s. We're uh. the people who won't even know what we're talking about. But <laughs> Much Music was the nation's music station, yeah. born in 1984, loosely based on the American equivalent MTV, music and videos all day, every day. Rick, before you even entered the work orbit of Much Music, you were a fan. Mm -hmm. This was right in your wheelhouse as a young guy in late teens, yeah. early 20s. Talk about what Much Music meant to you before you even got involved there working. Well, Andrew, I, I'm sure you can relate. I'm sure people of our generations can relate and the younger generation, of course. But I was an avid Much Music viewer. I came home from school. My parents would know that I wasn't doing my homework right away. I was tuning in to see what Steve Anthony and Erica M and Master T and all the other VJs were up to. That was my passion, music. I, I lived, breathed, and ate music. Uh, I knew everything about every band, every song, uh, was just learning about music videos because it was a novel idea, like you said, back in um, the early 80s when MTV started. But I remember shows like uh, Good Rock and Tonight and Toronto Rocks and those shows before Much Music came along, those were the first video shows, music videos shows that I would watch. And I was just so, I was so excited about the visuals going along with what we're hearing on radios and our, and our vinyl and our discs and our cassettes. So now we get to see these bands and we get to see what they're all about. And it was just a magical world. So yeah, I, I was, I, I was, still am a fan of music, uh, music videos. And, and, and aside from that part of it, I was just so entertained by what the VJs were doing at the time as well. Like the, the, these, these characters that would come in between the videos, set up the videos, talk about the bands, talk about the music directors. I was just so, so passionately invested in what they had to say. 
uh, aside from watching the video once they were done chatting. But yeah, I, I, the minute I saw music videos and DJs and personalities talking up the music videos, I was just swallowed up into that world uh, from, from that first day. And I thought, you know, there was always a dream in my head, you know, yeah, that'd be cool to do that one day. Never thinking it was going to happen back, back when I was in high school, I was just so happy and excited to be a viewer. And, um, and I was just so grateful that there was something like this in Canada that I could tune into religiously every day of my life. Every day I turned into much music and I, I tried to spend as m many hours in front of the television as I could until my parents started saying, well, you should probably get that homework done. <laughs> study study well, for that math math test or English test, um, which I That was do. a very I common yeah, vibe yeah. at that time, oh, yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah. So, Rick, you're already all in. You're, this is your thing. You're already all into this whole environment, let's call it. Yeah. And life changed for you with Much Music's 1994 yeah. Much Temp Contest. You won, beating out 8,000 other applicants you were still a student taking courses at Brock at the time. Let's go back to what that contest was, why you entered in the first place. And I want to hear about the life lesson you learned because you actually had a failed entry in the same contest <laughs> the year before, 1993. Well, I could tell you about that lifelong lesson, Andrew. It's never <laughs> give up. It's never give up on what you really want to do in life or what you want to do, period. Um, and, and my dad and my mom always said, like, the mountain isn't going to come to you. That big mountain, you have to go to it. So I, I tackled it. I did enter the contest back in 93. I was in my third year uh, taking phys ed at Brock. And idiot me, at the time, I'm, I just write something out on a piece of paper like and send it in. Like That entry is not going to win. The, you got to blow their minds. It was a visual. It was a visual contest. We had 25 words to explain to the much music brass why we would be the perfect temp for the summer. So yeah, I, I, I failed in that first year that they did it, which was 1993. That second year came around and I was so happy that they were doing this contest again because I was ready. I was prepared. I knew exactly what I wanted to do to enter this contest. Again, we had 25 words. And I think it was before the time when people were sending in you know, taped auditions. I don't know if there was a lot of that going on. In 25 words, you can't really describe yourself too much. So being the mi the fine arts minor student that I was uh, <laughs> in university, I, I put my fine arts skills to the test. And um, I, I vividly remember, uh, and I'll never forget this story. I was, I put this, I put my final exam studies on the back burner. It was April of 94 i think i just come back from seeing nirvana in concert at the university of buffalo uh, uh just across the border from where brock is and and i wanted to be part of this much music world because there was eric m interviewing kurt cobain there was simon evans and steve anthony introducing nirvana videos and i want to do that at this point now i I want to be that person. Why not? Somebody's got to do it, right? So I put my thinking cap on. I was, I, was, I was laying around one day before all the exam stuff started, and I came up with my 25 words. And I was sort of incorporating uh, much music shows that were on air in the mid-90s, incorporating them into a statement. First of all, I came up with a blanket statement, which read, rather than wasting another summer on my ass just watching you guys, I feel obligated to 
come join the team and do the best I can. So that was the, that was my base statement. Then I started adding some of the much music shows to my statement. So the final statement entry, I guess you could say was rather than outlying another summer on my facts, wedging you guys, I feel obligated to extend my power and help buzz around your electric environment. So Andrew, I think you remember you could pick up a few of the words, the keywords that were there. Electric Circus. Yeah, Buzz Clip, uh, The Environment, Outlaws and Heroes was a show that Bill Wedge hosted. The host was, uh, yeah, um, The Wedge was a show that Sukin Lee hosted. So I combined, I, I combined a lot of these words in, in with my statement. And um, I didn't stop there. I, I created this massive, it was a massive M-shaped box because that was our logo back in the in the early '90s, mid '90s, until MTV sued us, <laughs> saying you got to get a different logo. And that's when we went to the the uh, globe. But we oh, wow. we had an M as well as as the Much Music logo. I built this box. I it, it, the box opened from the top, and I put my banner. <laughs> this banner made with this statement was was half the length of a football field. Like I knew Andrew, I knew if I was going to catch someone's eye and if I was going to be the temp for 1994, I, I had to stand out. You have to, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a video entry. It was more of a visual, you know, entry using words. So I put my banner in there. I had helium balloons in there. So, so as soon as, as soon as the much music judges opened up my entry, the balloons, well, the idea was the balloons would bring, would lift up the banner. It didn't work out that way. Cause the banner was too heavy because it was like 50 <laughs> yards long. Um, but, but but I created this entry in my parents' basement. I locked my I basically locked myself in their basement in Hamilton for two weeks. Two weeks, I, I, I put my, my, my final exam studies on hold, and I just concentrated on this entry because I was all in, like you said earlier. I w- it was all or nothing for me. Like I had entered this contest the year before. I, I, I didn't win. I saw what the winner got and it was, it was like winning the showcase showdown on the price is right. And, and I wanted that. So, so I, it was all or nothing for me. I went to all in and, and it paid off. It paid off. And, um, that was April of 94 in June is when they made the announcement. I saw, I, I saw Erica M, uh, come back from a commercial break with my entry in front of her saying, it's now time to announce the Much Music Temp winner for 1994. I guess I guess you're wondering who it is. Well, this entry in front of me has won, and and I remember watching at home in my in my living room with my brother and my cousin was there, and uh, my dad was sleeping upstairs because he was working the night shifts, so he had unplugged the telephone. So Much Music was trying to call me on the phone to let me know that I was the winner because they wanted to speak to me on, on television on, on Much Music. But my dad had always unplugged the jack from the telephone oh so, boy. so the ringer didn't interrupt his sleep because he was on afternoon shifts or night shifts. Uh, but that that's how that played out. And uh, that, like you said, that moment changed my life uh, forever. Wow. Well, we're, again, the young, younger listeners are, what were they talking about? What, Phone yeah, jack exactly. almost prevented you. But so, Rick, yeah. you, you actually did not jump right into being on the air. What were your first roles at Much Music? Yeah, the temp was more of like, a, you know, a, an assistant or a helper or, you know, you're going to do all these jobs that no one else wants to do. Basically, the contest was inspired by a movie that was released uh, I believe by Paramount Pictures back in '93 with Kevin Bacon. I think was in the movie. It's there's an actual movie 
Um, oh. And it was a promotion that much was doing and it just caught on. So this, this caught on. So basically what I did um, and it ran for years, this contest, uh, I think you remember, I just did everything that they wanted me to do. I, uh, I, I fetched coffee. I, I was rewinding tapes because beta tapes, beta cam tapes were the way that, that we watched videos. Like they, they inserted each video on its, is individual beta cam tape and they needed to be re rewinded. So I did that. Um, gosh, I, I was working in promotions for a while. So I was in charge of all the contests and bringing the big M, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the wheel downs for Steve Anthony and master T and Erica to, to pick out the next winners of a contest. I was just doing everything and anything that they, they wanted me to do. And I was enjoying myself the whole time. Uh, again, it was only two months. It was the summer of 94. So it was July and August. Um, so, you know, it went by fast. It went by fast. I was in heaven. It was a magical place and I didn't want it to end. Well, suddenly your temp period did end. Yeah. Steve Anthony comes down, gives yeah. you a Glenn Campbell CD, <laughs> wishes yes, you well. Good luck with your future. Yeah. Rick, how, yeah. how did you get back to much music? How did you work your way from working behind the scenes to being an on-air personality under the uh, leadership of Denise Donlin? Well, here's the thing, Andrew. Like we talked about earlier, uh, you don't give up. You don't give up in life if there's something that you want to accomplish, if there's something you want to tackle, if there's something you want to do for the rest of your life. You just don't give up. And I, I wasn't going to give up. Um, I just kept calling. Uh, kept asking, is there anything at all that I can help? I, I loved my time so much those two months, uh, July and August of 94. I just didn't want to leave that place. I, I, I would have found anything to do, even volunteer, volunteer basis. And I think that's how I started. Uh, it was a volunteer basis. I, I My next gig would have been uh, uh, for the the countdown, the year countdown. Uh, I was calling in on the phones from, I'm back in Hamilton now, and I'm calling in to see what videos people are, are voting for. They would call in on a 1-800 number. They would leave their pick. So, you know, I, I want, I, you know, I think my, the favorite video of the year is Green Day, whatever, or whatever it is. So I was tabulating all these calls from across Canada. <laughs> Manually. Manually. Manually, yeah. I was on my rotary phone. <laughs> like the rotary phone. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long <laughs> process. I, I, sorry to interrupt. I, I'm having so much fun. You and I talking about this. Uh, after this, we're gonna be we're gonna go outside. Two old men go outside, yell at clouds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, please continue. Your rotary phone. You're manually tabulating. And that was one of my first. Like, they, obviously, they saw something in me in those two months. I was I was very ambitious. I was very capable. I I, I didn't say no to anything. So they saw something in me, so they gave me this gig to to tabulate all the vid music videos. So so I ran with that. I ran with it. That took me to the to early nineteen ninety five. Um, they were looking for someone to replace, just temporarily replace the receptionist at Much Music. My dear friend Tracy, uh, she had to take a leave for two or three months, and they were looking for someone to fill in. And and they knew me. I knew them. I was constantly asking them, I will do anything. So then, you know, the next gig, and this was a paying gig, I was I was answering <laughs> the phones at Much Music. And that was one of the best gigs um, prior to becoming a VJ because I was making contacts with managers from all these bands. 
um, all these record label people, these reps. I, I, I was talking to them, taking notes, uh, taking messages, and signing the message, Rick the Temp, Rick the Temp. I was, it's not like, <laughs> I wasn't transferring people to the phone. Like, it was before that. I was taking actual notes, messages, and then leaving them to Denise or Steve or whoever. So that was cool. And I think that's where the name started sticking, Rick the Temp, because people knew me as Rick the Temp, temp that summer from winning that contest. And I just kept that rolling because it was quite the handle. It was quite the handle. It's a handle that I still to this day can't shake. <laughs> on, on my gravestone, it will read, here lies Rick the Temp. Uh, <laughs> well, but, on that note, Rick, you, you, you eventually went from Rick the Temp to Rick the Franchise uh, because of your tenure, your personality. I mean, you did everything. VJ, Much On Demand, yeah. Much Music Countdown, Much Music Radio Countdown. Yeah, man. But in fact, your dad at one point suggested, hey, Rick, maybe it's time to drop the temp. Yeah. And use the Campanelli name. <laughs> yeah. What was that conversation That's like? That's right. I think it was like maybe three, maybe two or three years into my gig as a much music VJ. And from that point, it had been Rick the Temp, Rick the Temp, Rick the Temp. And, and you know, you know, my parents are so extremely proud uh, of the fact that I was even on television as a VJ doing something that I loved, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I remember my parents talking to me. Well, I don't know. It was over Easter dinner or Christmas dinner once. And they said, well, yeah, we got a great Italian last name. You know, people are using their last names on television. When are you going to start using your last name? So so it came from that. And uh, I'm so very proud of, you know, my family's last name. A little long. Not as long as Strombolopoulos, mind you. Yes, but But, uh, <laughs> but uh, we finally got the Campanelli name in there. So from Rick the Temp to Rick the Temp Campanelli. And now, you know, as of obviously ever since leaving much music, um, dropping the temp um, and just Rick Campanelli. But listen, man, it, it, it's, it was a great handle. You know, Master T had a great handle, uh, you know, and I just thought this, this, this might work for me. So I ran with it. And so it did. After 11 years at Much Music, yes. nine and a half of those on the air, your final appearance, Much Music, August 26, 2005. Why yeah. was this your final appearance, Rick? I was starting to have babies. <laughs> and um, when, <laughs> VJs can't have babies, can't have kids. You know, VJs, VJs are kids. <laughs> They're so young. I was, I think I was one of the, the oldest uh, VJs entering uh, at the time when, when I won the contest, I was 24. When I became a VJ, I was 26. Um, I was now in my mid thirties. That's unheard of. Like I, you know, they're going to start calling me the dinosaur. Like they were <laughs> calling Terry David Mulligan back in the day. But you know, I would just, I just knew it was time. And I'm going to be honest with you, Andrew, the, the fact that we weren't playing music and music videos 24 seven. And now we were starting to incorporate pop culture TV shows. I didn't sign up for that. I, I was all in to talk music, to talk music videos. I, I, I lived music. So now we're bringing in these shows that MTV's producing or whoever, you know, these, these pop culture shows, lifestyle shows, which were, listen, more power to them. They're, they're very successful shows. But um, but when I put my stamp on things back in the early 90s, it was music 100%. And, and it started changing in the, in, the, in the mid 2000s, 2003, 2004. It was about promoting this pop culture show. 
a lot more contests, a lot more promotion. Uh, you know, it was, we were, we were sort of moving away from what had start this whole beautiful beast in the first place. And, and when that started happening, that was a sign. And so those two things, getting older and, and not the same content that I fell in love with as a viewer. Mm-hmm. So I knew it was time to leave. And it was a mutual decision between my bosses at the time and myself. And um, listen, it was, it was the saddest day of my life up until that point because it was, it was everything I knew professionally. It was my first gig, uh, my first work uh, experience coming out of university. And um, it's all I knew. It's all I knew. And it was very scary saying goodbye. And um, I remember doing the show with Leah Miller. It was the Much On Demand show. And we had a bunch of friends call in and it got emotional. And um, like, like, like I said, it was the only thing I knew. And then, and I, and part of me didn't want to leave, but the other part of me said, well, you have to leave because there's mm-hmm. other opportunities out there. And, um, and I said goodbye. Yeah. So you said end of August 20, 2005? Yeah, I, I forgot the date. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had it August 26, 2005. Wow. And then yeah. you were preparing for new challenges. Yeah. You were subsequently announced as one of the reporters for ET Canada, yes. a new Canadian licensee of Entertainment Tonight, which launched September 2005. Yes, yes. This was huge. Entertainment Tonight, huge. And now I guess this, this Canadian version... Uh, did they send you to get training directly from uh, John Tesh and, and Mary Hart? This, <laughs> they, they were they, icons. They, they were icons. Oh, my gosh. The, the, well, they, they always say the Mary Hart School of uh, Delivery. Um, and, yes, truth be told, I did spend some time in Los Angeles um, getting trained. Uh, but you know what? Come on, man. We all know it's a totally different world. Me doing my thing and my approach at Much Music – was totally opposite of what they wanted me to do at ET Canada in that in 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 the in that whole realm of delivery. Now I'm wearing suits. Now I'm over enunciating things. It's like that wasn't me at much music. I was mumbly, I was fast talking. <laughs> so it was a totally different world and sure, it this is this is the big leagues. They they want to train you the right way. And and of course, the granddaddy of them all is entertainment tonight the one that was started um, gosh what is it plus 40 years ago now with mary and john and whoever else was down there at the time um it's quite funny because my last day on much music was like you said the 26th i actually did my first assignment for et canada still under contract with much music i i remember flying to new york the next morning to interview alicia keys because uh, she had a new album coming out so i was it's the way it, it's the way it went back then um so i don't know if it, it was it must have been announced i forget it was so long ago but i still remember it wasn't quite september 1st 2005 yet and that's when my contract would have ended or august 31st and i was still i was i was already working for et but it was an exciting time being a part of that franchise um getting to work with cheryl and Roz and kim and rosie at the time those were the five of us and um what a job that was. What what a world that was. Like it's clean cut, it's suits, it's um it's scripted. <laughs> well, Rick, you you alluded to it. I mean, much music was unscripted, freewheeling, yeah. anything can happen. Entertainment's Canada to yeah. me appeared highly oh. scripted, mainstream, 
But both styles can appeal to one person. Clearly, you handled them. Well, both. I appreciate that, Andrew. Thank you. It's t- it's a total opposite world, but I I was just so grateful to be given that opportunity. I remember the executive producer at the time. I had a couple meetings with him before actually signing on the dotted line, and I, I get he liked my approach when I would work a red carpet or when I was in a mosh pit. He I guess he liked the approach, the the people person, the the, the communicator. The, the social guy, and 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 he thought it was gonna it was gonna work well with his new show, ET Canada. So yeah, I, I not knowing much, getting into it, like I knew the show, I watched the show, but I didn't know that I was gonna they were gonna totally transform Rick the Temp Campanelli into Rick Campanelli three piece suits, you know, <laughs> Italian leather shoes, belts, ties. That was a different look for me. I had two. I they, had two suits at the time: one for weddings and one for funerals. And and and, and now I get this whole wardrobe that I got to choose from each and every day. And it was. Uh, I never put that much emphasis on my wardrobe back at Much Music. I was I was the punk kid from Hamilton who loved rock and roll and would just threw something on. I would always wear a hat. <laughs> I still do uh, to this day, but it was a totally different world in all aspects, visually uh, what we were doing. Uh, uh, but it was a, a ton of fun, a ton of fun. Well, I love to go behind the curtain and, and I'm thinking in particular with Entertainment Tonight Canada, were you given specific boundaries on what you could or couldn't ask celebrities? I'm, I'm thinking there must have been a handler, a oh. PR person off camera, wagging a finger at you, indicating your time was up. And this is a complete contrast yeah. to what you were used to. How did you, was that the case and how did you handle Most it? Most definitely, 100%, Andrew. You know it, man. That was the case. And and that's that's something that I wasn't used to early, earlier either in my much career. Like, we were doing interviews freewheel and we were asking any questions we wanted. Of course we had producers that would go over questions with at much music, but our producers were like us. We wanted to ask those questions that these bands weren't being asked. So you get to ET Canada and you're dealing with, you know, all the big A-list stars, John Travolta, Julia Roberts, uh, you know, Jennifer Lopez, uh, the list goes on and on. And all of these people have, questions that you have to stay away from you know topics you have to stay away from and what fun is that that just that just makes the same old interview for every person interviewing these people and that was a challenge man that you you had to make it entertaining but you had these guidelines well you did the best you could i did the best i could i my 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 thing was always trying to get a smile or a laugh out of them as I approached the room, as I approached where they were sitting to break the ice. I always started with something witty, with something funny. I thought if I can get them on my sides in terms of humor, uh, I could go down and maybe stretch a little bit and try and get away with a question that was on the no questions list. (laughs) Uh, Or when you saw that they were starting to talk about that topic, then you just run for it because if they're opening up themselves to that, then you go for it. But, but you're right. That's the way it started becoming in, you know, the mid two thousands and it was all just way too structured. And uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the same like it was in the mid nineties. That's for sure. But you interviewed like in the biggest of the big celebrities, but the, the I don't know to, to me, this may be the biggest, if I'm correct in 2009, he was not the president. He was the <laughs> oh, Republican yes. nominee for yes. president. 
Someone named Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. Well, he's an entertainer, first and foremost, with The Apprentice and just a larger than life. Uh, he's a character. Uh, we all know uh, him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I went right to his uh, Trump Tower in Manhattan and um, uh, we were given, what, five minutes with him. I remember him basically shutting the interview down because he was bit too busy for me and he had to go do something else. But yeah, I... I got to meet Donald Trump in uh, in his own in little world. Yeah, it was bizarre. It was bizarre. That is that is surreal because, of course, not, none of this uh, had happened. He had, wasn't president no. yet, but he was no. bigger than life I, even then. I, you, you didn't even think he was going to even run for president <laughs> one day. But he was just such a just a straight shooter, aggressive. Um, he liked to hear himself talk. Uh, but you, you don't think a guy like this is going to run for president and actually become president USA one day. But yeah, crazy world. If you are enjoying this Toronto Legends interview with Rick Campanelli, please check out the more than 100 additional episodes available anytime. We got great broadcast personalities, including Christopher Ward, Ted Wallishan, Jack the Coach Armstrong, Mark Saltzman, and Chuck Swirsky. So many great behind-the-scenes stories directly from the Toronto legends themselves. All episodes available 24-7, 365, wherever you get your podcasts. Rick, on a serious note, in July 2017, it was announced that you would depart as co-host of ET Canada when your contract yeah. ended. Your last appearance was in August 2017. Twelve years in, out of nowhere, you got released with a 2023 lens and the passage of time, uh, are you comfortable kind of commenting yeah, on man, like it's, what that It's that the period? entertainment industry. It's like people get let go all the time. This, is, this was the first time I had gotten fired or let go from a job. You know, they just decided not to renew my contract after 12 seasons. It was a bit of a sucker punch. Was not expecting it. Um... I would have, uh, well, I do remember saying to them, let's try to work something out. You know, is it a salary thing? If it is, let's cut it right down and I'll do whatever it takes to stay. I, I didn't want to leave that place. I can tell you, honestly, I think even more so than much music, because I knew much music was coming to an end and I knew it in my heart as well. But with ET Canada, I, I didn't want to leave. I, I wasn't ready to leave. I would have put in, 10 more years. I loved it so much. I loved interviewing people. I loved going to different destinations to experience those cultures and be on sets and do all. We had such a fun time. So when I got called into my my boss's office uh, with the director of programming for Global at the time, it, it was uh, it was a sucker punch. I went through uh, many emotions, anger, uh, sadness. And um, it was tough. It was tough for the longest time. But it was also a blessing in disguise because I got to spend so much time with my young family. You know, my my wife and I had just uh, had another child. And to be able to be there with Harrison and Jack as toddlers, me playing the part of Mr. Mom while my wife Angie was still working <laughs> at the Marilyn Dennis show on CTV. It was wonderful. I, I was, it, it made me realize like if I wasn't pushed into that situation, I would have been working these long hours, you know, constantly like, and I didn't know that other world of being at home 
all these hours and being mm-hmm. a dad and a husband. So, you know, I was sad at first and I was mad at first, but I'm glad it happened when it happened. I, I really am. Like I, 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 for five years, I was, well, four years, maybe I was at home with my family doing family stuff and still doing like odd, mm-hmm. you know, emceeing and, and hosting gigs on the side and a lot of social media stuff that had just started that whole world had just catapulted into the mainstream. So yeah, um, no regrets. They did what they had to do. I, I'm grateful to to have spent 12 seasons on, on a great show and uh, no hard feelings. Well, you got to roll yeah. with the punches. As you know, you, you can't get that time back. So the silver lining was suddenly this great yes. time with your family. I, I want to ask you to take us from the post-entertainment Tonight Canada period, late yeah. 2017, through the pandemic period to today. I know you did a pivot to radio for a bit. How was I that did a pivot to radio maybe a year and a half ago now. Um, that was that was a different world. Morning radio. I did a stint on the edge when I was with ET Canada in 2016 or 2015, uh, working with uh, Fearless Fred, and that was fun. We did seven months, but Andrew, I just couldn't do it anymore because I was working 14-hour days, going from morning radio to TV and sometimes staying at Ichi Canada in the studio until like 5.30 at night. I don't know how Marilyn Dennis and, and, and Roz Weston do it, <laughs> but they did it. I just I wasn't built built that way. I'm not a machine like them, um, so I had to give up that gig uh, after seven months. But yeah, yeah, uh, fast forward. Uh, I guess it was the summer of, gosh, I was going across Canada on the 90s nostalgia tour with Aqua and the Venga Boys. And that summer, Z1035 reached out to me. Uh, they were working on a new morning show and they they asked if I would consider being a part of it. And I said, yeah, I would love to try this. Why not? Uh, morning radio. Uh, I'm not much of a morning guy, but I can, you know, drink a ton of espresso and become a morning guy. (laughs) Uh, And no, no, (laughs) to tell you the truth, we were, I was always going to bed early because having a young family, you, you have to get to bed early with them. Uh, And then they get up early. You got to get up early with them. So, so it was a great 13 months, uh, at Z1035 in Toronto. Uh, I had a great time with Sandra, my co-host. Um, it was a ton of fun. It brought me back to my roots. It really brought me back to my roots because on radio, it's there. It's live. You can't take it back. Once it's out there, it's out there. It's it, And it was like much music. That's mm-hmm. the way much was. It was live. E.T. was different because it was a taped show and polished and packaged and put together. But um, I was really I was really into it um, at first, and I was excited. But I'm going to let you know, um, those very early morning hours, waking up at 3.30 every morning, they just got to me. I just couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> it's it, it's a tough road. You gotta. You're right. The people that do it, it's amazing. And even people that do shift work, it, it it's really even more is. Amazing. I, 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 don't know I how could. They, they, they say you get used to it, and and I guess I was getting used to it. But I was coming home, and I I was a zombie. I felt like a zombie. I'm getting up there in age, um, and I just wasn't the same me, you know. Because you're in bed at six thirty at night, seven seven thirty latest. You're up at three thirty. So there's not much of a social life unless it's during the day. But during the day, like I said, I was exhausted. I was napping. I felt like a zombie. I just, so some something had to change. And, and I, I had the best 13 months over there. Um, but, but, but yeah, unfortunately, it had to come to an end. Uh, I want to talk about some of your 
big memories. I mean, you've done so many things with so many people and the things that uh, jumped out to you. I'm going to ask you about a few of them. Woodstock 99. Yes. <laughs> That's uh, a crazy, must have been a crazy what experience. What experience that was. Um, obviously not even around for the original Woodstock in 69. <laughs> we weren't even born yet. But, you know, seeing the footage, seeing the clips, you know, becoming educated on learning and what it was all about. What a beautiful, beautiful experience that looked like. So fast forward, I think it was the 25th anniversary in 90, 25th anniversary in 1994. I was at much uh, as a temp and I saw the VJs going down to do recreate Woodstock 25 years later. Uh, and I was always like, oh, the lucky ducks. I died, you know, I wasn't even a VJ yet, but I saw the VJs going down and I saw the footage that they were coming back with. And it was just amazing. So in 99, yeah, um, I got assigned. Most of the VJs there at the time got assigned. I think it was Suki and Bill, uh, Ed the Sock, Juliet was down there as well. We got assigned. Namageni, I think Namageni was there too. We all got assigned the gig to go down to Woodstock 99 and to be part of that experience, man, all these bands of different, all the different genres. Uh, they asked me to go up on stage to, to make some announcements at one point and I'm looking mm. out, it's a sea of people. It was like, what an experience, yeah. but just to, just to see all these bands performing, like I, I, I told you earlier, I, I lived music. So this, this was the pinnacle being at a, huge festival like this uh was was a dream i was i was pinching myself that whole weekend and when you talk about pinnacles you, your big day in heaven from my understanding is when you got to interview both stone <laughs> temple pilots and red hot chili peppers that must have been uh this is my day yeah I, poor I george it. poor george george was supposed to do the chili peppers that afternoon but he had come down with a either a throat issue and uh he wasn't able to um, I was going to see the show that night, uh, and I was given the assignment of doing the Stone Temple Pilots with Scott and the guys. Um, that was, oh man, talk about, it was nonstop pinch me moments, Andrew, at Much Music, especially for someone that lived music and was so passionate about it. So yeah, I got the word that, you know, George wasn't coming in. Can you, Rick, can you stick around to interview the Chili Peppers as well? Um, yeah, I can, I will, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, so yeah, that was, you know... Almost every day there were bands coming through much music, like, and sometimes on this given day, multiple bands. So just talk, like, think about this work environment. Like I say work, uh, but it was all fun and games all the time, man. Um, especially for someone who was so in love with music, live music, music videos, anything about music. So yeah, Chili Peppers, Stone Temple Pilots, that day will go down uh, as one of my all time favorites. Now, one interesting thing is I don't think this was really your taste in music, but <laughs> for some reason, you ended up being closely associated with all the, yes. the boy bands, and this was their big era, Backstreet Boys, yeah. Sync, New Kids on the Block. Uh, were you into that? And if not, how did you kind of accommodate that no, you were going to be I the guy? No, I wasn't out there buying those CDs. Not at all. Not a chance. I, my money was going <laughs> towards all the rock bands. Um no, I, I was more alt rock guy, right? So yeah, being being associated with the boy bands, I think the very first time I was assigned was the Backstreet Boys when not many people knew who they were. They came into the much environment. Uh, they did an acapella thing. I still remember one of them wearing an Anaheim Ducks shirt. Was it an Anaheim Ducks shirt? It was a hockey jersey. 
nobody really knew them in Toronto. I think they were kind of big in Quebec. They were they were trying out these markets before taking the world on. Um, you know, the the environment. You know, we would bring in fans, and it wasn't full at all. Um, so I just hit it off with these guys. Like, like I respect these guys. I respected all boy bands and all. Um, uh, all that genre, like the Britneys and the Christinas, they were putting a lot of smiles on faces around the world. They were making a lot of people happy. And and I, I respect someone that's going to make someone's day better, you know, wh- whether it's through music or, or getting to meet your hero one day. But um, yeah, I, I got, I did that. That was my first time. And I, I, from that moment on, I think people started calling me the sixth backstreet boy. And then it was, you know, in sync and then 98 degrees and all the British boy bands that were coming over and all the girl bands that were coming over. Anytime a boy band or a girl band came in, okay, let's get Rick on it. It was all good, man. I got pigeonholed into that world, but um, listen, there are worse th- things I could have been doing. <laughs> hey, they, they were the top yeah, they were. of the world. Yeah, they were. And what's interesting is, as I'm sure you know, the cycle is repeated. Oh, They're all they are, coming back now. Uh, have you ever been approached like for a yacht rock <laughs> tour? With, like Backstreet Boys apparently I sell know, out these yacht I've never tours. been asked to join. Um, and I got pretty close with the guys in the Backstreet Boys. I still keep in touch with them to this day. I had them on, on, the, on the morning radio show on Z. Uh, the InSync guys invited me on their tour bus back on the day. Never took advantage of that. But but yeah, I would be all over these <laughs> these uh, cruise trips that uh, attract you know thousands of their fans. Um, how fun though! Their whole resurgence because a fan will always be a fan. And you know, you know, if you're walking the earth and if you're a fan of the Backstreet Boys when you were 15, you're going to be a fan when you're 75. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, there's yeah, a love there. for sure. There's a deep love, deep rooted love. So. I'm so happy to see all this, all these bands coming back, touring. I think the Backstreet Boys are in South America right now. Um, you know, I, my fingers are still crossed that NSYNC are going to get back together and do the same thing. Uh, we saw new kids do it. We saw a bunch of boy bands do it, and, uh, all that era, that genre. So that's amazing. I love seeing that. And, and they're not just doing it. They're selling out, and they're making their old fans yeah. like very, very happy. You know, uh, Backstreet's back. Backstreet's back. back. Now, I don't know if they sound the same. <laughs> Listen, like when I saw Kiss's reunion tour, and that was another one of my, my assignments back in the late 90s, they were back for a reunion tour. Now, listen, Peter Chris, I don't, he couldn't, there was just something about, he's still playing those drums, but he just couldn't hit those notes the, the from Beth any, anymore. Gene Simmons still yeah. was spitting out the blood, but, you know, their time had come. And they were the heyday was of course the seventies and eighties, but um, for for Kiss, but it's the same thing with the Backstreet Boys and, and all these bands are getting back together again. It's not about how good they can sound; it's just that it's 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 the them being there and their fans being here, and that's what it's all about that that relationship. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. Well, it all as you know, reality sets in when when they don't manage their money well. Uh, there's a, a push <laughs> yes. to get back. So until Justin Timberlake makes a bad investment. No, I don't think you're gonna see, that's a good uh, point. Insane, I failed but... to mention all that. The, fi- <laughs> the financial part of it all. Yeah. Yeah. You, you are too nice a guy to speak ill of anyone. So I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll word this in this way. Sometimes when you meet somebody you really like look up to, but you don't know them. I don't know any of these celebrities on CNTV, 
But when you actually meet them, sometimes they totally impress you, even better than you expected. But conversely, sometimes they're such a bad experience that you wish I had never <laughs> met this person that I kind of idolized. Who really impressed you? But on the other side, was there anyone that was a big letdown and you're like, I wish I hadn't even oh, spoken gosh. to him? Yeah, you know, I don't like to speak bad of anyone out there. Artists, actors, athletes, whatever. They're all in their world doing their thing. Maybe someone wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe someone's having a bad day. Maybe someone's done something internally or behind the scenes that you know nothing about. And that's why they're being this way. I can tell you 99% of my interviews, uh, I fell in love with the people. I, like They were great people. They're there to promote their yeah. albums. They're, they're there to promote their music videos that were premiering. They're there to promote their movies that are launching, you know, in North America. So everyone was always excited to talk. But sure, there were times and very rare times when you when you were assigned interviews with people that were too cool for school or, you know, just didn't want to say anything. It's like I never understood those people. You know, this is being mm -hmm. recorded visually. This is going to live forever. Why would you want to be any other way than excited, entertaining? You know, um, why be the opposite? And there were interviews that were like that. Very rare, Andrew. But um, and then you met people along the way when the cameras weren't even rolling that were that way, the negative way, you know, musicians have a lot of vices um they're they're going through a lot i think musicians more than any other uh category of people out there um some have a lot of demons uh very large demons that they're dealing with so i i understand why people are certain ways at certain times um but i will say this because i know you're looking for an answer uh, on the same day when, when I, I'm pretty sure I met probably the, one of the nicest people in the business in my mind, in my heart, I probably met someone in that same band that was the opposite. And again, it was probably, he was having oh, a tough boy. day. He was going through something. He didn't give me the time of day. He said no to my requests. Uh, when I asked him for an autograph for a friend. I'll tell you the band first, Aerosmith. Aerosmith came in. Okay. Was I on air at the time? I must have been. I think it was like early in my career as a much music DJ. Uh, Steven Tyler, nice, nicest guy you will ever meet in in the music industry. Giving of his time, has joke jokes around with you, very social, very likable, very talented. Um, but there was someone in his band <laughs> that I had met <laughs> not so soon good. after um i'm thinking okay all these guys are the same way right but nah, that's my one no. story but you know what it brings to mind rick is oh, uh wayne gretzky is famous for this because we can't appreciate what it's like every he can't go to the corner store yeah. without someone wanting yes. to talk to him about the same thing but his father told him this you have to remember every time you play you got to assume it's that fans First, and maybe only time to see you play, you got to be the oh, same yeah. player every oh, day yeah. and give it 110%. And just to your point, these guys too, it's easy for me to say, Joe Perry should have been behaving better. But uh, he's got to realize this is how we're going to remember you. This might be Rick Campanelli's only interaction. And through him, who knows how many 
hundreds of thousands of viewers. Well, listen, I, how, so, first of all, how did you hey, find that easy out? for me to and, say. Uh, <laughs> and listen, Joe, Joe may, have, <laughs> may have made someone else's life in another instance. He may have met a fan and was so nice to them. Again, it all comes down to what a person is going through that day. Maybe they're dealing with things. And um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not chalking it up to the way they are forever. I'm, you know, I'm hoping maybe the next time if I do get to meet him again, he, he, he's not that same way. But Listen, they're they're rock stars, man. They they I get it. They're gonna put on a smile some days and they're gonna be totally, you know, cut off from the, the rest of the world on other days. It just depends what they're going through. But that's interesting about Greskin, that story. I'd never I'd never heard that one before, but it is so true. You're gonna meet people or someone's gonna tune in to watch that might be just tuning in for the first time. So you gotta give it your all every single time. And that's that's an amazing you know, and I met I met Walter on a couple of occasions. Nicest, nicest human, nicest human, and, and of course Wayne as well. I got to meet on several occasions. Just you know, you know they were ta- taught right from wrong. They they knew their morals and values, and they were good people. Walter, what a what a shame when he passed a couple of years back. But uh, great father to a great the great one. Absolutely. On a lighter note, Rick, you went from jorts and a baseball cap and whatever you rolled in and to a stylist and all these great suits in the mid 2010s you had a mustache period uh what was the viewer and spouse reaction to your uh, mustache i I hadn't i hadn't attempted uh, to raise money (laughs) Ah. for men's causes uh mental physical uh ever and i thought i'm italian although i can't grow facial hair it takes months but i thought i'm gonna do it this time i'm gonna grow a mustache uh, for Movember, for my dad and all the men out there who battled prostate cancer or, or battling whatever they're battling mentally, physically, I'm going to do it. I'm going to raise money. I'm going to do my part. So that's where me growing a mustache came from. And you are it's funny. I was just going through some pictures before okay. getting on, on here with you, Andrew. and and Because I, I was interviewing at the time too, and, and it got caught on tape and it'll live forever interviewing Alexander Ludwig from Vikings and Nelly Furtado and a bunch of other uh, stars. And uh, there's that mustache. I only had the mustache for a month. Actually, it was less than a month because ET Canada was sending me out to um, uh, to cover the Victoria's Secret fashion show in Paris. And the producer said, you're definitely not wearing that mustache on the red carpet because you look creepy. Basically, is what he said. So, <laughs> I think towards the end of the month, I had to shave shave the mustache off. And uh, I mean, I miss it. I miss. I might try it again this this November uh, for November. I am the opposite of you, Rick. I can have uh, a full <laughs> facial hair from scratch oh, by wow. by tomorrow. I can have it brought in. So I I just don't have your beautiful head of hair anymore. I, that's what I lost. You've been so great with your time, but I know one question any listener is going to be yelling through their earphones. Andrew, you must ask, do you keep in touch with the old gang? Steve Anthony, Michael Williams, J.D. Roberts, Christopher Ward, George Strombolopoulos, Monica Diol, Master T. Tony Young. Who do you keep in touch with and uh, ooh, ooh, any updates? A long list of great people right there. I do. I, I just um, I chat with Bradford Howe all the time. We text each other. Brad's a great guy. was uh, was a good friend when we were at much together. Uh, he's now in New York, uh, happily married. He's doing the acting thing. Uh, George, I will reach out to every once in a while. Um, it may take him a few days to get back in touch with me, but George always does. George is uh, 
man, that guy knows something about everything. As you know, um, George has had some great success now in LA working with Apple music, but, um, yeah, like I'll reach out to T every once in a while. T and I will comment on each other's Instagram posts. Monica Diol, uh, I did it. I did some work with going across Canada for that '90s nostalgia tour. Uh, Rachel and Amanda are both in LA. Uh, they've been there for years, as you know. Amanda Walsh is now doing the acting thing. As soon as she left, much she went right into the acting thing. Rachel was doing more hosting gigs. Um, who else was on that list? Steve Anthony, I will keep in touch with. Steve inspired me to do what I'm doing these days. Like it was Steve that 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 I would tune into to watch the most because I always loved what Steve Anthony, his delivery, his knowledge of things was just perfect every time. And to to be a, a friend of Steve's these days, it's it's such an honor because I was this huge fan. And now I'm this guy's friend, and it's uh, it's great. Steve's a great guy. We keep in touch still. Bill Wilichka, you know, I saw him at a gig that we did last summer. Um, there's a long list. Erica and I keep in touch all the time. Erica has just uh, helped produce a much music documentary that will be premiering at South by Southwest uh, next month. Uh, March 13th is the big premiere of 299 Queen Street West. Uh, it's a documentary on the early days uh, of much music and, uh, it's going to be an honor, uh, to watch this documentary. So yeah, I keep in touch with her now, Michael Williams, Christopher Ward, John Roberts, they were a little before my time. So I never did get to build a relationship with them. Uh, I loved what they did all those years ago on much music, but I never, um, I think I met Michael briefly at one of Steve's birthday parties, uh, never met John Roberts but would always tune in to watch the new music, him and Jeannie Becker. Uh, that that's, that yeah. was on before much music was on. So, yeah, no, no. Uh, there's a lot of people on that list there that are extremely talented and and sort of gave me the push to do what I'm doing today. And uh, I, I have to thank all every one of those people that you mentioned and the people that weren't mentioned on that list. Uh, but every VJ that came before me and, and that came after me, like – they were a special breed and I'm happy to call them my friends. Well, it's great that you've clearly made the uh, effort to stay in touch because as you know, for viewers, we all have this fantasy, <laughs> yeah. even though this is 20 years after we all have this fantasy that Rick <laughs> Campanelli is hanging out every weekend with Monica. Diola. So you, you made, you made it come true for me. I see that you're still a good guy. Keeping in touch with everybody. Yeah, you're still I, in contact. I, I, That's I great. I know what people are up to these days. We spent so much time together back then. Like we were a, a brotherhood and, and I had sisters. We, we were all VJs, but even the people behind the scenes, we, it was a family. It, it was, it was a real family back then. And I, and I really got to know all of them like family members. So why not keep in touch? They're like old friends and, and family members that you want to keep tabs on and, and wish them well. A fabulous way to close out. Rick, I want to ask, what are you working on now? Where can we best follow I, um, you and know what you're I'm up to? I'm doing a lot of social media stuff these days, Andrew. Uh, uh, I, I work with uh, Bodog Canada. It's a, it's an online uh, wagering site. Uh, sports is the main thing, but they there's an online casino and there's a lot of entertainment uh, categories uh, that you can wager on these days, uh, including uh the Oscars and they just had a big Grammys category. Um, so that that's taking up 
my time. Uh, obviously, doing as much as I can with the family. Um, I'm doing hosting gigs. Angie and I, my wife, just did one in Toronto the other day uh, together. So we do a lot of co-hosting gigs for corporate events. Um, will there be another TV gig? Will there be another radio gig down the line? Listen, I hope so because those are two magical worlds that I loved every minute of. So if someone comes calling uh, asking if I would be interested, like they did, like Denise did all those years ago, you know, I, I would I would throw my hat in and I would jump at the opportunity. It is good to have these like down times and step back from from those worlds because you know if you're not prepared to you know be in those worlds they they're um they can be tough on you mentally and physically and um listen it's 2023 now like there's they're not nice about it about things <laughs> you know like they were back in the mid 90s it's like it could be a cruel cruel industry so i love these moments where i'm just stepping back doing my own thing you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, there's going to be another opportunity. Um, you know, my agent's always looking for something else. And, uh, and I look forward to that next uh, door opening. Excellent. Rick Campanelli, <laughs> refreshed yeah. and ready to go. I want to thank you for your time. It was so great catching up with you. And Andrew, I thank you, you so much. It success. was an honor being on Legends with you today. Thank you very much. The pleasure was mine. And to the listeners, we thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. And on behalf of Rick Campanelli, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. Hi, I'm Emily Roger. And I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, 4Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.